Please take your Bibles tonight and join me in Acts chapter 1 as we continue our series through the book of Acts on Sunday night. Though we started this in June, this is only our third message in the series thus far because we had our God and Country rally on July the 4th. On the 11th that night, we left for Silver State. On the 18th, we had testimony from those who went to camp, and then last week we had VBS. So I've been doing nothing for the last month on Sunday nights. And um, I just want to say again what a wonderful VBS we had. Um, thank you to everybody that, that was able to help. I really think it was the best closing program I can remember in recent memory anyhow. And to see the kids singing the way they were and the turnout that there was, uh, it was just wonderful. So uh, anyway, we've had a lot going on in July. We have a lot going on from Memorial Day until the end of family camp. And that's just the way it is when you live in a cold climate. Amen. <laughs> you get all you can get done. Brother Brandick's probably saying, well, we do everything in the winter down there. <laughs> and uh, But anyhow, because of so much going on, we just haven't been able to meet together and study in this book like I had hoped. So I'm excited to get back into this. Uh, let's begin tonight, Acts chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 through 11. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom, restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and the cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So in the first message, we considered the importance of discipleship from verse 1. The fact that Luke, the author, the penman, I should say, of the book of Acts, writes 28 chapters here to reach a man named Theophilus. And then Luke also penned what we call the Gospel according to Luke, where he wrote 24 chapters also to this man named Theophilus. And I just find it remarkable that 52 chapters, 27% of our New Testament, more than any other writer, was written to reach one man for Christ. And how that ought to rebuke us in our meager discipleship efforts and investing in other people. That Luke would take the time to do this is remarkable to me. And we ought to be more invested in people. I don't know if you'd be willing to write 52 chapters or not to reach someone. Now, even though, all, uh, e even though Luke penned all of this 
to reach Theophilus, we understand he was under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. I don't believe, I don't know that we can know that these men knew that they were writing the scripture. You understand what I'm saying? I, I think he's just trying to reach Theophilus. And it wasn't like he thought that this work was going to be published and we were all going to be studying it for generations and he would get all the royalties for, you know, the amount of times it's been printed by Thomas Nelson or whoever. And so, anyway, I, I don't know why my mind's going here, but um, he was willing to put forth the effort just to see this one man grounded in Christ. Are you willing to put forth the effort? That was the first message. And, you know, I've never met anyone named Theophilus. I don't know if y'all have. It's actually a great name. It means a friend of God. But I was listening to a man preach who said he was almost named Theophilus. And he said, my mom had given birth to me and my dad was convinced that she was going to give birth to a girl. And so the dad only had guy names or girl names in his mind. He didn't have any guy names picked out. And the doctor came and asked as mom was being treated after giving birth, the doc came to the dad and said, what would you like to name this child? And he didn't have anything. And apparently the doctor at least had some Bible knowledge and suggested, why not Theophilus? And he said, Theophilus? And the doctor said, yeah, that's the Theophilus looking baby I've ever seen. <laughs> some of you saw that coming, didn't you? Um, Theophilus. In the second message, we considered our need to be empowered with the Holy Ghost. They had been indwelt by the Holy Ghost in John chapter 20 when Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive you the Holy Ghost. Um, why couldn't they receive it before then? Well, the price had to be paid. The blood had to be shed. The ransom had to be given. And Jesus breathed on them they received the Holy Ghost. But here they need to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And we, we looked at the difference between indwelling and baptism of the Holy Ghost and honestly, this book, even though most of your Bibles probably say the Acts of the Apostles above the, the book here, it, it could just as easily say the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And that's really what we're witnessing here in the book of Acts. And so the baptism of the Holy Ghost was important because of what Jesus says here in verse 8. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And so we'll look more at verse 8 later, but we need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost if we want to be effective witnesses for Christ. You shall receive power. Why? To be witnesses for me. You need to wait you need to be endued with power from on high. You need to be baptized. You need the Holy Ghost to come upon you because my task for you is to be my witness in this earth. We need the power of the Holy Ghost. And I highlighted a principle that we don't hear emphasized as much as we should, but remember, Jesus had said over in Luke 24, 49, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Jesus called them to go, but let's not miss that the first requirement was to tarry. 
They needed to wait. Notice again here in verse 4, in our text, that Luke points out how they were told to wait for the promise of the Father. And I'll read you the quote that I read last time from A.W. Tozer. Quote, The popular notion that the first obligation of the church is to spread the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth is false. We must be spiritually ready to spread it. Our Lord said, Go ye, but He first said, Tarry ye. The first business of the church is not to evangelize, but to get ready to. And we, we must be actively fulfilling the Great Commission. We understand that. But what good is it going to do if we do not have the power of the Holy Ghost upon us as we go? And this is important because as witnesses for Christ, we are only going to produce what we are. And if we are carnal Christians, we're going to... I don't even know if that's the right word. Is that an oxymoron? If we're carnal, we're going to produce other carnal people. But if we are spirit-filled Christians, we will produce other spirit-filled Christians. And so we find that the purpose of the empowering of the Holy Spirit isn't so we can all experience some emotionally charged, some goosebump-filled, some rocking service, some, something that really gets us excited. But the Holy Ghost is for us to be a witness to win the lost. The steam in the locomotive engine is not there to blow the whistle. It's there to power the engine down the tracks. Likewise, the steam of the Spirit, if you will. It isn't there so one can sound out in tongues. Sound their whistle, if you will. Yet so many are caught up in the tongues movement as if that's the ultimate expression of the Holy Ghost. No, the Spirit is given to empower us, to drive us forward as a church, reaching others for Christ, picking them up along the way. If all we hope to do is have the Spirit so we can be something. So that we can have this kind of service where people come in and they feel all warm and fuzzy. If that's all we're after, this mystical emotion, we're not going to see the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Say, well, what then are the Pentecostals seeing? Well, I'll let you figure that out. But if we desire to be witnesses of Christ to the glory of God, then we could see being baptized with the Holy Ghost. Being empowered. Being effective in our witness. Reaching people for the kingdom. We need to reach more people for Christ. I know ultimately we can't control the harvest. But we can control how much seed we plant and how much we water that seed. Now, that was a short recap that took longer than I wanted it to of what we covered the first two messages from the first five verses. But before we move on in this chapter, there's a principle in verse 1 that I have yet to point out that I would like to bring to your attention tonight. And it's very important that you get a hold of this point. This point applies to all who are teachers, which would include all of you parents and grandparents. And really, this applies to anybody who is hoping to be effective in reaching other people. So I really want you to get this point here. Notice in verse 1 that Luke writes, Of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. And he's saying that we, what we now call the Gospel of Luke contained... 
from what he wrote, he's now saying, what I wrote before was all that Jesus began both to do and teach. And the order in which we find this written is extremely important. If you want to minister with authority, if you want to have credibility, if you want to be a better parent, if you want to have more influence in people's life, then you've got to understand that you have to do first and then you teach. All that Jesus both began to do and to teach. This is the divine order. You must be a doer first. Somebody said this, it's better caught than taught. Ezra 7.10, it says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Ezra understood that if I'm going to teach the law of God, then I must first do what the Word of God says. So he sought the Word of God. He sought the law. What he got from God's Word, he put into practice. And from that, he was then able to have the credibility to stand before people and say, this is what you need to do. If you want to have authority with your children, or if you want to have authority in ministry, it comes down to this very simple order. You do it, and then you teach it. If you try to teach it, but you are not doing it, it'll never work. I want to give you an example that I'm ashamed to give you. I struggle greatly with music. Always have. I shared this with the chapel in the academy once. I'm not justifying anything. I'm only explaining. I've always been introverted. And in my introvertedness, I've always turned to music in my past. When I was young, teenager, young adult. And I listened to a lot of music. And if it came out in the 80s or 90s, I probably know more about it than I should. Okay? I don't care the genre. I I probably know it. That's how deep I was into this stuff. And I've never wanted my children to struggle with music like I have. I don't know how many of you can relate to this. I may be the only one with problems in life. But I attempted to teach them, don't get caught up in this the way I did. And I tried to teach them this principle. Because I understand that with music comes a lifestyle. I don't know if you would agree with that. I'm going to try to prove that to you. You don't typically find cowboy-like people listening to gangster rap. You typically don't find the south side of Chicago listening to country and western. Why? There's a lifestyle associated with what we put in to our mind. I'm going to list different music genres and see if your mind doesn't picture certain images. Punk. Punk music. Hip-hop. Country. Heavy metal. Blues. Classical. Rock. Electric, jazz, bluegrass, folk, and I can't resist, 
polka. <laughs> I don't know why. I picture sauerkraut and bratwurst and... <laughs> to show you how powerful music can, can be, think about how this principle applies to the church house as well. What comes to mind if I say praise and worship? Praise band. Hymns. Choir. And, and really, listen, I'm just trying to illustrate how music categories are tied to a culture. And, and why it's so important to be careful with worldly music is for that reason. Almost all the adults in here, and maybe everybody in here, could finish this phrase. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Isn't that amazing? Now, listen, I, I'm not saying everything that's not in the red church hymn book is of the devil. But the Bible's pretty clear. And so, I think you understand the dangers that I'm referring to here. Typically, you won't find people at a party where there's drugs and alcohol listening to How Great Thou Art. Typically. Unless the church is really messed up, sister. I was reading a book the other day on spiritual leadership, and there was a chapter dealing with the music ministry. I, I sent a screenshot to Brother Long because he needs help in this area. And um, <laughs> Brother Long does an amazing job with our music. I just wanted to, to send it to encourage him. It says this. The music ministry of your church will create a spirit, an attitude. It will either be reflective of the spirit of Christ or a spirit of carnality. Once the spirit is created, you will minister with it preach to it, and serve with it. Music always develops an accompanying lifestyle seen in those who, who immerse themselves in that style of music. In the same way, the music of your church will also largely contribute to the lifestyle or culture of your church. And I thought, boy, is that true? Now, back to my point. I've never wanted my kids to struggle with this. I understand the principle I just stated to you. So I've tried to help them along to listen to godly music. And they've never been disrespectful to me in this. The problem is I struggle with it. I think Carson and I were at Lowe's not too long ago. Remember we were buying shelves for the concrete room in the basement that we were too ashamed to let Breck into. And Breck's like, can I see your fuse box? No. You don't want to see how messy this room is. So we were buying shelves... And this song came on, and immediately I just I started saying, I hadn't heard this song, and I don't know when. Blech. Carson's like, you know this song? <laughs> Carson's my little Pharisee, and... <laughs> and so while I'm at the house, I, I have what I try to jokingly call, and it's not really a joke, but... I have these flesh attacks that I, I like to call them where somebody can say one word and a song will pop into my head. One word. So I know the struggles that I, that I deal with. And, and I didn't want them to, to have that because I'm talking about songs that maybe I haven't heard in 20, 30 years. Man, music is so powerful. Be careful what you ingest. Well... You can understand then, I've lost a lot of credibility with this issue. Both to do and to teach. I know what to teach. 
but my kids see. That's the problem. That's when we're no longer effective. That's when we no longer have authority. Because I can teach somebody what's right, but if they see that struggle in my life, even though they know my heart, they've never been disrespectful about it, they've, they've never said, you hypocrite, there's still an observation there. And you have to be a doer first. Having just shared an issue that I struggle with, I wonder if anybody in here can identify with this principle. And you can see in your life, your ministry, whatever, your home, that there's an area that you don't have credibility in. You know what to teach. It's not resonating. Because they see what's going on. Perhaps you're growing tired of the attitude that your child speaks to you with. Well, do you blow up at them? You try to teach them, but you haven't learned yet to do. You want respect from them, but you haven't learned to be respectful to them first. I don't have to be respectful to my kid. Oh, you might want to rethink that. It's kind of like somebody who will come home from work and they've had a rough day and, and for them personally, the way they unwind is they grab an alcoholic beverage. And they sit down and, and the little talk comes over and wants some and you have to say, no, you can't have this. And they're trying to teach their child, you need to stay away from this while you're doing exactly what you're trying to tell them not to do. And you can apply that to a lot of things, amen? You don't want to, you don't want to smoke these because uh, you're going to be addicted and it's not good for your health. Then why are you doing it? I have tried for the most part to live in my home as if my kids can't do it, I shouldn't do it. Well, we're about to get into family camp. Let me move on here. They, children are very perceptive. Very perceptive. They always pick up on our hypocrisies. We try to teach them how they need to live godly lives and we know we aren't doing what we're supposed to be doing. You tell your children, you need to stay in a good church. Are you even faithful to church? You tell them they need to be in the Bible. But are you in the Bible? Your kids see you in the Bible. You tell them to pray and ask God about it, but are you praying like you should? You tell them to tithe, trust God with their finances, but are you doing it? You tell them they need to witness to others, but are you? Sounds like this morning's five to thrive. Just had to get that in there. You can pick whatever area you want. You can pick whatever trait you want. This principle applies. You must first do and then teach if you're going to be effective. So do you hope your children will adopt the right behavior? then you first must be doing it yourself. Do and then teach. I don't want my three boys blowing up at each other, then I ought not to blow up at them. Well, anyway, um, you ought to be a doer first. Amen. Now, we see at the end of verse 3 that during the 40 days, this is too many sermons, okay? We see at the end of the 40 days, or during this 40 days, between Jesus' resurrection and His ascension, Jesus was teaching His followers of the things pertaining the kingdom of God. 
don't forget that this 40-day period was a transitional period. This was a unique time in history for these men, particularly because they had walked with Jesus physically for three and a half years. They had seen with their eyes what He was performing miracle-wise. They heard Him teach. And now, all of a sudden, Jesus isn't around like He used to be, and He just kind of pops in and out. And for 40 days, He'll show up here and there, and He'll teach them about the kingdom of God. And Jesus was trying to get them to see that there was this time now that I need you to transition from needing me physically to understanding where I'm at spiritually. He would indwell them. Amen. And He needed them to understand that. And because it was... Because of this fact, it was vitally important that our Lord taught them of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, we'll also consider this uh, in verse 6 and 7 more deeply next time, but we see in verse 6 that their concern was still upon an earthly kingdom. They look at Jesus, and when they therefore were come together, they asked of Him, saying, Lord, wilt Thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Oh, mercy, we could have fun with that verse. Jesus had been teaching them of the kingdom of God, and so that's on their mind. Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom? It's not for you to know. You can just go ahead and mark that down. It's not for you to know. Anyway, we're going to get to that more next time. And so they're thinking about an earthly kingdom. They're still thinking political deliverance. They're still thinking coming out from under Gentile yoke, Gentile dominance. They're still thinking the Messiah is going to usher in this earthly kingdom. Jesus is trying to get them to see past the earthly and to see the heavenly. And listen, this is important because Jesus wants to teach us today concerning the kingdom just as He taught them. What was He trying to get them to do? He's trying to get them to see, you've got to start looking heavenward. And Jesus is still trying to teach us this lesson. He teaches us of things pertaining to the kingdom. He wants us to learn that this life is only a vapor. It appears for a little time and it's over. And He speaks to us about the kingdom today by allowing us to go through trials, tribulations, persecutions, hard times cancer, bodies breaking down, heartache, sorrow. Do you hear what I'm saying? He's teaching us about the kingdom. He say, what in the world are you talking about? These painful experiences are meant to teach us that upon this earth, we have no continuing city. But we seek one to come. We are meant to learn to seek for that city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The Apostle John, while banished to the Isle of Patmos, referred to himself in the Revelation as the believer's companion in tribulation and in the kingdom of patience of Jesus Christ. Because of all that John went through in his long life, he could say in Revelation 22.20, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, I'm ready for you to just go ahead and come. It's hard for a younger person to say that, isn't it? Because they haven't gone through the heartaches yet. They haven't gone through the pain yet. There's excitement about what lies ahead in life, but as you begin to live life, you begin to realize this is all there is to life. And you begin to think, I'm about to turn 44 next week, I think. 
I know the age. I just can't remember the date we're at now. Even if I lived twice as long, I would live to be 88, and that's probably not likely. Man, it's crazy to think life's already more than halfway over. You understand what I'm saying? It just goes by so fast. And John, he longed for the day when he would leave this earth behind. He longed for the day that he would be with his Lord for all eternity. He longed for the day that God would return. Why? Because all that he went through in this life made him long for the kingdom of God. Myron Glass just wrote to us, I can't use an overhaul at this point. I just need a new body. What is he saying in his 80s? I'm ready. If you're going through it, and we all do, I want you to understand the Lord is speaking to you of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. He's reminding you that this world is not your home. By faith, we are merely sojourning as in a strange country. We can see that other country afar, the Bible says. We, we are persuaded of it. We have embraced it. We, can, we confess that we're just passing through. And we declare plainly that we seek a country that is a better country, that is a heavenly country. The kingdoms of this world are all going to pass away. But of His kingdom there shall be no end. And He will rule for all eternity. And it's through our trials that we begin to long for that day. My dad told me, I think, at some point when he reached his 70s, he's now 77. And he said, the older I get, the more I long for heaven. Trials. Tribulations. Heartaches. You say, what is God doing? He's conforming you into the image of Christ to make that transition up there that much better. For you to say, I am looking forward to being with my Lord. I will no longer disappoint Him with my sin nature. All that's going on in this world, it'll be over. The Lord will straighten it out. It is through these hard times we long to literally be with Him in His kingdom. And it's as Deuteronomy says, as an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young. What's that mama eagle doing, or the daddy eagle for that matter? What is that eagle doing? It's getting all of that feathers out of there that are nice and comfy. And it's making that young eaglet uncomfortable when it rubs up against a stick that used to be covered with feathers. And that eagle is trying to get that eaglet to realize it's time for you to fly. I want to tell you, God stirs up our nest. He makes it uncomfortable. Makes it painful at times because He's getting us ready to take our flight out of this world to our heavenly home. We feel that pain because all of this world is going to pass away one day. So can I just encourage you tonight? Don't put your roots down too deeply in this earth. It's going to pass away. It's all going to be burnt up. All that you labor for is going to be gone. Isn't that exciting? See also the book of Ecclesiastes. Don't labor for that which isn't eternal. Obviously, you have to work. I, you, know, you understand what I mean. Labor for that 
which pertains to the kingdom. Lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't corrupt and where thieves cannot break through and steal. You don't have to be among those who are going to be disappointed at the end of their life that they never lived with eternity in view. So don't waste your time and energy for that which fades away. This earthly kingdom, this world, is not where it's at. But what did Jesus say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Jesus wanted them and now He wants us to prioritize our lives in light of eternity. So I just want to close with how are you doing in this area? Are you more more concerned about the earthly than you are the heavenly? Let's pray.